0: Amen. Good morning. Great time of worship this morning. Let's, uh, let's give a hand to uh, Rudy and Yvonne for sharing. Avon uh, was like, please don't ever ask me to do this again right before church. I was like, I'm sorry. She's like, don't be sorry. Just say you will never ask me to do this again. Uh, it's great to be with you. I was uh, last week, I didn't get to be here. I was with all the. Uh, Students uh, in the Los Angeles Church of Christ, the ministries from the Los Angeles Church of Christ, Uh, if you're uh, visiting with us, the South Bay Church is part of a a bunch of congregations all over Los Angeles. We're known collectively as the Los Angeles Church of Christ uh, because we started in LA with just one congregation on Sunday, and then we've kind of, over time, over the last 20 years uh, plus, we've spread out into all the different communities, so that's why you don't hear us say the LA Church of Christ as much anymore, we're usually saying the South Bay Church, because you know... you. invite somebody to church and they're like, where do you go? The LA Church of Christ. Oh, is that in LA? No, we meet in in Manhattan Beach. So it's kind of like, oh, I I don't understand. You know, because when people think church, they think where you meet, right? Uh, When we think church, we think the people. We think each other. We think the group. Uh, So, you know, you got to kind of communicate to people in their own way of of communicating. But anyway, all the LA Church of Christ campus students came together for a a, a retreat last weekend. So there was 500 plus students uh, last weekend. And a lot of guests, a lot of students checking it out for the first time. It was just really awesome to be with all those guys, but I miss being with you. It's great to be back together. We're doing a series right now called Love Works. As I mentioned, it's based on this book by Joel Mamby. And he talks about using the principles in the Bible in your workplace. And so he talks about different aspects of love that Paul mentions and how those relate to you know, living regular life. So we've been taking each one of those topics each week. We did this for a staff retreat this summer, and I was given the topic that we have today, which is forgiveness forgiveness uh, for, is this working it is on I have a different one. go ahead and go uh, forgiving release the grip of the grudge when I um, was given this topic i didn't have you know it was kind of like okay, I can do that one, but i my, my reaction or, or my I got to confess, kind of the way I felt about it, and I'll just mention it to you guys in case you can relate a little bit. You know, I've been a minister for about uh, 13 years, and um, you know, working as a minister, you you do weddings, uh, you do uh, you don't do bar mitzvahs in this church, but you do you know different uh, family events, but you do funerals. And one of the things that that I've noticed in funerals is is, you know, you get into the dynamics of the family. In weddings as well, you kind of get into the dynamics of the family. And it's amazing how many families in America have been separated by a lack of forgiveness. You know, so you, you, you meet with families, you, you interact with families in a funeral a lot of times, you, people who haven't spoken to each other in years and years and years. And it's so sad because here's this funeral, someone has died, and now they're finally talking to each other. Or even, even in that, it's not going very well and... um. You know, even in my own neighborhood, uh, we've got a couple doors down this family, that the, the 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 husband of the family, his he has a twin brother, identical twin brother, and uh, and his mom live on the opposite side of the street and down a few houses. So like right here and right over there, and they haven't spoken to each other in years. And the grandson who lives over here doesn't get to see his grandma who lives over there. It's just you know, it's, and they're on the same street, and it's like wow. Uh, so when I, when I think about forgiving, I, I've seen how, you know, that effect that it can have in people's families, and I feel like in my family, not because of me, I'm just blessed that my, my parents were great, my upbringing was great, I don't have a lot of these scars that a lot of people have, and I have a great relationship with my, my parents, so when I think about forgiving, I think, is there anybody I don't forgive? No, I, there's nobody I don't forgive, I don't really have any grudges, I mean, my life's been pretty good, you know, I've had people steal from me, or cut me off in traffic, or do, you know, like kind of minor things that you kind of let go of quickly. So I, don't, I felt like, man, I, I don't know about this topic. But then as I looked at Jesus's teachings about it, man, I was convicted. So wherever you are with this topic, you're going you're gonna to get something out of it today. So even if you kind of have the reaction I did. Now, some of you, you might have been in a family where, like my father, he was a victim of sexual abuse growing up. And, and he had stuff happen to him as a child that has affected him his entire life. And it, you know, he's had to wrestle through some family stuff that I've been spared from because he's kind of gone ahead of me. And and been a disciple, and so I kind of, I feel like he saved me from some of this, that stuff, because a lot of stuff is generational, as we know, in families. So that's, that's a great hope in this church, is that we can break those cycles, amen, uh, with our families. But, but maybe you ha- were a victim of, uh, you know, in, the, in a group of this size, many of you were victims of child abuse, or of sexual abuse, or of, of these different things. And so there's some topics that are kind of raw, or, or, or kind of rough, and, and so I realize, I, I, when we talk about forgiving, it doesn't mean that what happened to you was okay. I just want to say that right off the top. You know, God gives people free will, and because people have free will, they can use that free will to hurt other people. And God doesn't condone that behavior. And, and when we talk about forgiving someone, it doesn't mean that any, it lessens at all what they did. So I just want to make sure you get that right off the bat, uh, because I've already mentioned that I can't relate to you, so I don't want you to already kind of distant yourself, oh, you can't relate to me. There's a lot of people here who can relate to you. If that's you, and and I really believe that Jesus' teachings are going to, they have the ability to set your heart free. Okay, let's look at Luke Luke 17. Luke 17, we're going to say a word of prayer and uh, jump into Luke 17. I have another clicker. That would be better. You can work on that there. Luke 17, I'm going to say a word of prayer and then we'll jump into the scriptures here. God, please uh, be with us today. Help us to learn from your word and from what you want to communicate to us. It's amazing how relevant it still is 2,000 years later. It's, it just shows us it's the very words of God. I pray that we can open our hearts and our minds to what Jesus has to say to each one of us. I pray that uh, just if there is anything that Satan is trying to use to keep us from learning all that, uh, that you want us to learn from your scriptures, I pray that you would remove those barriers, God. I pray that you would detangle uh, unclutter us spiritually. Help us to really receive from you and receive from your Holy Spirit at this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Working, Sherwin? Okay, well, I'm just going to say next slide like the old-fashioned way. Okay, uh, Luke 17, verse 1. It says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Okay, right there, how does God feel about someone who sexually abuses a child? Well, you see it in that verse, don't you? God is ticked. Woe to anyone who causes a little one to stumble. Woe to you who hurt someone else by your sin. How we treat people is huge. And so that's the context. We've got to be careful the way we treat each other. We've got to be careful, and even in God's kingdom, what we do affects other people. Oh, you got another one? Sweet, thank you. What we do affects other people, and so we've got to be careful. We've got to be cautious. He says, watch yourselves, verse 3. It's a good admonition, right? Then in verse 3, next verse, he says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So forgiveness doesn't mean you just gloss over sin. You just don't deal with it. You know, you just kind of try to act like nothing happened. No, Jesus wants us to confront sin. Jesus wants us to deal with things. Jesus is all about bringing things to the surface that would typically, like, nobody would deal with. You know, it just kind of goes unsaid. And so people, you know, what we can do is someone hurts us, and we just try to shove it down, we act like nothing happened, and then we just grow in bitterness and resentment, and then there's issues between us, and you know what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, no, 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 if if something happens, you need to deal with it. You need to bring it out into the open. We bring issues to the forefront so that they can be dealt with, rather than what happens inside is becoming resentful. We don't just whitewash things over, cover it up, hurts. We deal with things. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Wow, I mean, what, what hits you? Uh, you know, look at that verse, read it on your own for a second. What hits you about that? I, I know for me, what hits me, the, the guy says, seven times in one day comes back saying, I repent. What would I be feeling in that moment? I would be thinking, no, you don't. This is the sixth time in the same day. You don't repent. I'm not going to forgive you. No. I mean, what would you really do in that situation? Would you have the patience to continue to work with that person and to continue to help them overcome their sin and to continue to offer forgiveness yourself? That's challenging. Now, side point is I'm glad that God would forgive me if seven times in the same day I blow it. You know, I'm glad Jesus is saying that's that's what you got to do, because I, I, that means that's what he's going to do for me. So I like that part. I just don't like the part if, if my wife is doing it, you know, sinning seven times in the same day, or my brother, you know, whatever, my kid. Uh, that's challenging. So I think we can relate to the apostles. What's their response here? Look, look in verse five. What's their response? Increase our faith. We can't do that. It's impossible. It is impossible to forgive someone seven times in the same day who keeps doing the same thing. Increase our faith. And when we think about something that requires great faith, you know, what, what comes to mind? I mean, if I think, what are great deeds of faith? I mean, I think about maybe, uh, you know, evangelizing some new territory, planning a church in, in some, uh, you know, third world nation where no one's ever heard the gospel and you might be killed or, uh, or, or just standing up in your high school for your faith and not being afraid to of being different, and I mean, that's an act of faith. I appreciate our teen ministry and the, the stands that they take. It's tough. You know, I think about those things when I think about acts of faith, but I don't normally think about forgiving as being an act of great faith. And yet, that's what, that's what we see here. We think it, it takes great faith to forgive. Why does it take great faith to forgive? Why is forgiveness an issue of faith? I think because forgiveness is a vulnerable posture, you are relinquishing control. You are giving up of yourself and, and trusting God, really. You're trusting God. It You're You're requires trusting God and not ourselves. It requires you to empty yourself and, 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 to, and to not take things personally and just to, to trust God and trust that God is a just judge and that God knows the big picture. It's an act of faith to be able to forgive. And so I, I've got a, a kind of secondary title here today that's a little, little more specific, and that is the title of the lesson is The Faith to Forgive. Because I want to talk about forgiveness being an act of faith and how it's really a, a matter of trusting God and, and believing that he is in control. You know, we like things we can control. We like things we can, uh, we can manipulate. I think that's why guys like video games so much. Because you can control it. You know, you know, wives, if you can't figure out why your husband just keeps wanting to play these video games, it's because he can control the video game. He can't control you. He can't control your kids. He can't control life, you know, but he can control the video game. We like things we can control, especially guys. And, and, and yet people we can't control. It's, it's, it's messy, right? It, you can't, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And, and so, uh, but we're in the people business. We live around people. We work around people. We, our family is people. And so we got to be able to, to deal with things in faith. God created human beings and God created human beings with free will, so because people have free will, they can hurt you. And so, what, what, what does Jesus offer in that? Jesus' response, verse 6, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Let's talk about uh, bitterness for a second. Um. I'm not saying Luke intended this exactly, but there is this interesting uh, thing you see in the scriptures of bitterness being compared to a root. And if you think about a root, I know I've got weeds that grow up in in my yard, and I've got a weed whacker. You know, you hit the weeds with a weed whacker, what happens? They're gone for a little while, but does it last? They come back, right? And so you got to weed whack them again, and you got to deal with it again. But but the, the, the root is down there, so if the root's down there, that thing is coming back, and you've got to get it out by the root, and that's hard work because there's a lot underground. And that's how bitterness is. There might be something you see on the surface, but there's a lot more down deep. And, and it comes out in certain ways, and maybe you can sometimes deal with what's on top, but it takes work to deal with the root root. It takes deal, work to deal with the bitter root. And there's this verse in Hebrews 12, it says, make every effort, it's on the screen here, Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. You can stay in Luke 17 because we're going to go back. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness, it defiles others. It, it, it can bleed over into other people and it, and it can take deep root and it's hard to get, to get rid of. And yet the faith response is, I command you mulberry tree of bitterness to be uprooted and planted in the sea. You know that you got to have faith. God can deal with your bitterness. God has the power of uprooting that bitter root and and sending it all the way out to the sea. And you got to believe that today. You got to trust that God can help you. God can deal with it. Harvard researchers found that mentally nursing a grudge puts your body through the same strain as a significantly stressful event. Muscles tense, blood pressure rises, and sweating increases. Over time, this chronic stress plus the flood of stress hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol can have a dramatically negative impact on the immune system. Bitterness hurts you physically. Physically. That it, it causes stress and stress hormones and, and we've all been there, right? We've all been there nursing that grudge and you just don't feel healthy. And so, you know, th- this is something that hurts only you. It's been said that bitterness is the poison that you drink and then watch for the other person to die. You just keep drinking that poison watching, and the other person doesn't even know, <laughs> you know. And that makes you even more bitter and so you're drinking it some more, you're waiting for that other person to die. And so it only hurts you. So again, forgiveness, it's not about you know, what they did might be really, really wrong, but the bitterness is it hurts you. It's only hurting you. Nelson Mandela, we all know the story of Nelson Mandela, wrongly accused. He was in prison for 27 years. That's a long time, 27 years. I've been married 20 years. I'm not saying marriage is imprisonment. I love my marriage. <laughs> I, should not, I should not have even gone there. I just It wasn't in my notes. Oh, no. I was just thinking, what, what have I done over 20 years? I was thinking marriage. I've been married over 20 years. But that's a long time. I'm just trying to imagine 27 years in prison. Man, I'm in trouble. Jeez. 20, 20 years of bliss. 20 years of happiness. It's a little taste of paradise. A foretaste of paradise. But he was in prison 27 years, and he said this as he left the prison. As I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And you see that in his life, the way he, he governed, the way he came out and, and reached out to all people of all, of all colors. Of all that. you know, He didn't take revenge on the people who had put him there. It's amazing that perspective. Uh, let's look at some practical things that we see from these verses. Number one, faith in how we view others. So, that issue where, where Jesus is saying, somebody, if your brother sins against you seven times in the same day, he's saying, I repent, forgive him. How are you going to do that? I think it takes faith in how you view him. How did Jesus view, think about it for a second, how did Jesus view Peter? You know, if, you, if, you, if you've been around a while, you know, the stories of Peter. We don't have time to get too into them, but Peter messed up a lot, didn't he? And yet Jesus again believed in him and again believed in him. I mean, Peter blew it so much that he was a, afraid of a little servant girl. He told Jesus, I'll go with you even to the cross. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything for you. I'll give my life for you. And Jesus is like, really? You know, We'll, we'll see. Tonight you're going you're gonna to find that that's not true. And that very night, this little servant girl was like, oh yeah, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And Peter says, no, I don't even know who that is. Who are you talking about? I, I don't know the man. And over three times said he didn't even know who Jesus was. And, and then and he was so guilt-ridden. He went out and wept bitterly. He, he kind of gave up his hope of, uh, of, of who Jesus was supposed to be. He went back to fishing. and you know, he, he, he was up and down and up and down. But Jesus never gave up on, on Peter. Peter. He said, you're the rock. Almost, almost like, because Peter was not a rock, right? Peter was up and down and all over the place. You're the rock, Peter. He had a vision for who Peter could become. And so having faith to forgive, it means it's having faith in how we view others, trying to view others the way God views them. How does God view this person? Try to take yourself out of the situation and view them the way God does. One thing that helps me with this is thinking about, some, you know, thinking about someone with faith if, if, is thinking about someone I'm, I'm reaching out to with the gospel. If you're a member of this church, you know, we... we Invite people to church. We share our faith. If you're, if you're a guest today, you know, many times it's because somebody brought you and, and, and invited you. And, and we, we love to share our faith. We love to share, uh, share with others what God is doing here. And a lot of times when you meet someone for the first time, especially if they're open or they're interested, you know, you, you, you have a lot of faith because you think, wow, this person could become a Christian. And they, their life could change, and who knows what God could do. And yet sometimes if somebody's been in the church a long time and they're like in your group or you're around each other a lot, you start to kind of take each other for granted. You don't see each other that way anymore. Kind of like, ah, yeah, he's all right. He's... You know what I'm saying? Instead of, I mean, if you think about somebody in your, in your group that's been there, for, you know, been around for a long time, think about if you just met that person and they said they were interested in coming to church, you'd be like, wow, this guy's amazing. He's awesome. And yet when you, get, you kind of get used to each other, you kind of take each other for granted, right? So I think it takes that kind of faith to see each other with fresh eyes to be able to really uh, to, to, to be able to forgive even. Because then you can overlook those things or you can move past those things because you see things with faith. Uh, members of our family, seeing them with fresh eyes. You know, so we live with each other. We see all the worst things about each other. So it, it takes a, you have to reset in your mind. You know, with your, with your husband or wife, I think sometimes even just asking yourself, why did I marry this person? And remembering all the great things. We were with a couple yesterday, counseling them, and I asked the brother, tell me why you, fell in love with your wife, why did you marry her? And he's like, oh, she's this and she's that, and she's amazing, she's incredible, she's, I love her beautiful eyes, and she's, she's this and she's that. You know, we have to do that, right? We have to reset ourselves and see with faith so that we can forgive and move past some of these things. Uh, people that oppose us, people in your own family that, that, that don't like your faith, or people at your job that, that, that are down on you for your faith. Uh, got it takes a lot of faith to, to look past that and see them with fresh eyes, have faith in how you view them. I want to read this blog posting, and I'm not going to paraphrase, it. I'm going to read it word for word, because it, it's really well written. It's by a, a woman named she, Susan Basham, and it's called, She Yelled at Me and Called Me Names. Okay, this is a blog posting. It says, pulling my car into the drive through line at Starbucks, I wondered why it was a dozen people deep. It wasn't raining yet it seemed everyone was driving through today. I was transporting three dogs to the groomer, and there was no way I could leave two wild shih tzus and one crazy bichon alone while I went inside for my daily dose. Millie, the bichon, sat on my lap, licking the window. As I peeled her away from the glass, I saw the woman. She sat across the parking lot, leaving just enough room for a throughfare, as she, too, was waiting in the Starbucks line. I smiled and gestured to her. It went something like this. Are you next or am I? Really, I was fine either way. She was not. Thinking I was trying to snag her spot of next up, she gunned her Suburban, rolled down the window, and let out a string of expletives that made me blush. Millie barked back a retort. Go ahead, please, I said. I wasn't sure who was first. I pulled M- Millie back onto my lap so she could see I had been dog distracted and truly did not know who was next. She didn't buy it. She continued with the name calling without taking a breath. I won't write them down here, but the main mantra shared initials with the number one social networking site. (laughs) Then something really strange happened. Instead of getting mad or yelling back at her, a sense of empathy invaded me. I looked at her again, and this time I saw someone different, someone who wrenched my heart. Her eyes were red and puffy. Her hair was pulled back in a natty ponytail. She held her her phone in her palm, glancing down at it every few seconds, and she was driving that big old gas hog of a Suburban, my own car of choice when I had three kids at home in a carpool. Dear God, I was looking at myself ten years ago. Same car, same ponytail, same frustration. We've all been there. Dog vomit's on the sofa. Both kids have strep throat. The garbage disposal chooses today to break when you're trying to disintegrate moldy fridge leftovers. Husband is mad because you forgot to pick up the dry cleaning and he's going on a business trip. Sound familiar? And by the way, was that him she'd been talking to or texting? She gunned forward just to show me that she could. I left her a wide berth, smiled at her splotchy face. She shot me a sideways scowl, mouthed the mantra again. Pulling up to the loudspeaker behind her, I said, I want to pay for whatever that woman in front of me has ordered. And please tell her I hope she has a better day. I meant every word. The woman idled in front of me for a good four minutes, talking to the barista who had leaned out the window. She shook her head and handed him a bill. She drove around the side of the building slowly, this time no gunning. Hmm. No takers, huh, I said to the barista as I pulled forward nope she said she couldn't believe you wanted to pay for her drink after all the names she called you she said she couldn't allow it and said to tell you she was sorry she felt really bad did you tell her i hoped she'd have a better day yep she said thanks that she already has good to hear i smiled and handed her a dollar to put in the tip jar as i drove away i began to cry Not because I've been called so many terrible names, but because God had answered my very recent prayer, which was that he would allow me to see people as he sees them, not as I see them. That I might be able to see the hurting inside instead of just the hurtful outside. And maybe a few tears were of gratitude and amazement (laughs) that he always shows up with an answer when I sincerely ask. Isn't that who God is? Doesn't God really show up when we trust him and and view other people the way that God views them? It's hard because we take things so personally, but... Uh, Martin Luther King said this, We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. Look at this part. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. We are all the same. You know, we're on a bad day, I could totally be, you know what I mean, on a good day, we're all the same. And so I think it's, it's huge to be able to have faith. We've got to see people with eyes of faith and see people the way God sees them. Let's continue in Luke 17. Now, this is interesting. So the very next thing Jesus does is he tells them this story. So he's told them, you've got to forgive someone even seven times in the same day. The disciples are like, increase our faith. And so then he tells them this story. Think about why would he have picked this story? It's kind of odd. Verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I never really thought, I've heard this verse before. I'm sure you've, you know, if you've been around, you've heard this verse before. I never, ever, ever noticed it in connection with forgiveness. I never noticed that it followed what we just read. And so I thought about that. What does this have to do with forgiveness? What is this really about? And I think the second point is faith to not take it personally. I think Jesus is trying to say that the, God's kingdom is not about you. You're an unworthy servant. We've all been bought at a price by Jesus' blood. We, we don't deserve what we have, and yet it's so easy for life to become about us. For me, it's so easy for life to become about me. What did I do good? What did I do bad? Do people like me? Do I do a good job? Am I being effective? Me, 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 right? But we're serving a greater cause. God's kingdom is so much greater than us. And, and the, the bottom line is we are unworthy servants just doing our duty. Now, I don't think Jesus wants us to have this kind of emotionless, you know, duty-bound existence. We just, I'm just doing my duty of a Christian. Would you come to church with me? <laughs> I don't think that, and we'll talk about more about that in a second because that's the next thing he gets to. But, but, but if, if that's our bottom line, I'm just here because of God's grace. I don't deserve anything. I'm an unworthy servant. Then, then, it's, then it's gratitude all around, right? Because if people treat us great, oh, that's bonus. If people don't treat us great, well, I'm just an unworthy servant. It's a great perspective to have to not take things so personally all the time and to be able to see that, you know what? you know, God God is in control and God is bigger than me and God is going to take care of business. And that really requires a trust in him. That he is a trust judge and that he sees and that he knows and he will repay. And Romans 12 is a verse that we spend a lot of time in in our family. And my parents spent a lot of time in Romans 12 when I was a kid. And now I see why. You know, there's a lot of good stuff in Romans 12. If you're a parent and you don't use Romans 12, use Romans 12. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But even Marshall, when he was barely old enough to talk you know we had the memory verse do not repay evil for evil and this one time you know he comes running up from downstairs and he's like daddy jameson's repaying evil for evil and we're like well, wait a minute doesn't that mean you did evil to him first and he thought for a second he goes well what's that verse for then anyway So, you know, those of us who are married, we can relate to that. But the power the the power of Christianity is that you can, you know, there's a space between what someone does and how you respond to what they did. And what Satan does is is you 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 blame them for what you just did. And and our kids do that. You know, you're trying to deal with them, but but he did it first. No, I'm not talking about I'm talking about you. Well, but he, oh but she, but but he but but no, 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 let's, what did you do? Did you do this? Yeah. Okay, okay, let's talk about that part. You know, we, 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 and, and it do, doesn't change when we grow up. You know, the husband is frustrated because the wife is not respectful. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't, she, you know, and the wife is upset because the husband is not loving and he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my needs. He only cares about himself, right? And, and you try to talk to the wife. You, okay, but God calls you to re, be respectful, yeah, but he doesn't, he's not worthy of my respect. And he's, you know, but him, but him. And you talk to the wife, you know, or you talk to the husband, but her, but her, right? You guys have been there, right? So the power of Christianity is being able to say, you know what, before God, I'm going to change my behavior. And let them deal with them, but I'm going to deal with me. And that requires faith. It requires faith and trust in God. And, and one of the great marriage passages in the Bible is in, in 1 Peter 2. We don't have time to, to really dig into it. But in, uh, oh, you know what, I'm going to look, I'm going to, hold on, hold that thought, I'm going to get there in a second. Uh, I want to talk about revenge for a second, because revenge is something that's big in our society. There's a lot of revenge movies. Uh, there's a lot of revenge themes, you know, in, in, in movies and stuff. We, there's part of us that we really like revenge, you know, to, to get back at that person. But it, but it never really fully satisfies you. There, there was a story of, uh, of this soldier in Afghanistan, and uh, his, he got a Dear John letter. You know what a Dear John letter is? is, is, is this happens often when, when guys go off to service, their relationship that they had, they're gone for a while, and so the, the woman sends them a letter saying, uh, it's, it's called Dear John because it happens so much to so many different uh, military guys that I, I found someone else, I'm moving on. So she sent him a letter, and, and the Dear John letter uh, closed with this, please return my favorite picture of myself because I would like to use that photograph for my engagement picture in the county newspaper. Oh, that's rough. That's rough. And so what he did is he got all his friends to give him pictures of their girlfriends. And he sent back a whole box full of all these pictures and, and, and it sent, sent the whole box to her and it says, Please find your enclosed picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. <laughs> Ooh, man, that's rough. And there's part of us that we like that. Yes, Dig it to her. But the problem is, the problem is it never, it never really works, you know, because then it just escalates, right? Because then back the other way and the other way and the other way, and it never really ends. And that's why you have these families where nobody's talked to each other for so long because it just escalated to the point of division and then just nothing, right? And so that's the power of Jesus' way is that, it, is that it can change. Somebody can change their response, and that, that is what heals the relationship, um, A little more serious story, there was a a woman named Renee. Her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And she chose to forgive him after much prayer. But she said this, For a long time I thought that by forgiving Eric I would be betraying my daughter or in a way leaving her behind. I thought forgiving Eric was almost like saying what he did doesn't matter. But God showed me that forgiving Eric was the best way to honor Megan and to ensure that her loving legacy would live on. Sometimes we want to take revenge or we don't want to forgive because we think we're, that, that means it's saying what they did is, is, is okay. It's not saying what they did is okay. But you can't change them and you can't be controlled by them. If you, if you allow yourself to be trapped like that, then you're allowing them and the situation to control you. But by forgiving, you are, it's you and God and you're stepping outside of that, of that control by forgiving them and breaking that. Uh, think of the example of Jesus. So this is what, was, what I was getting to a minute ago. Uh, In 1 Peter, there's a great passage about marriage and how we should treat each other in marriage. But it starts with talking about Jesus. And it says, if you suffer for doing good and if you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have all been healed. So Jesus did not retaliate. I mean, it wouldn't make him Jesus, right? If he was hanging there on the cross, cursing them back, you know, it, 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 that, he wouldn't be Jesus anymore. If he rose from the dead and took vengeance on them and their families... You know, like uh, in a Kill Bill type thing, you know, going after them. I'm going to crucify you and see how you like it. It wouldn't be Jesus anymore. And, and so what makes him Jesus is that he, he, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amazing, his grace and his love. And, and the Bible says, he suffered for you, leaving you an example. that You should follow in his steps, verse 21. That's how we're supposed to be in our marriage. If it's not fair, oh, well, amen, you get to be like Jesus. If, you take all, if you're the husband and you take all the blame for the situation, well, it's not fair. It's half her fault. No, no, take all the blame. You're the husband, and you get to be like Jesus here. And that's what the Bible says. You're supposed to be like Jesus in the church. Jesus took all the blame, right? And, and, and you think, oh, it's not going to be fair. It's not going to work. But I, I'm telling you, try it. Try being like Jesus. Try taking all the blame and see what happens. See if it doesn't work. See if Jesus' way doesn't work. And how, did, how was he able to do that? In verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You can't do it because of the other person. You've got to do it for God. Jesus had it on his mind. I mean, I, I believe he had it on his mind, us, but how was he able to do it? He entrusted himself to God. God, you see, you know, you're bigger than this situation. I'm trusting you. You can trust God. That's how he didn't take it personally. There's a story of a. This woman, Steve shared it a while back. She was known as the Turkey Lady, uh, Victoria Uh, Ruvalo. These teenagers went out one night. They stole a credit card. They kind of went going crazy. They bought a bunch of stuff. One of the things they bought was a 20 pound frozen turkey. And so they're heading all over the town, being crazy, being wild, being stupid, being idiots. They throw the turkey out the window as they're driving. The The turkey goes out the window, it hits an oncoming car in the windshield. It smashes the woman's face. She was in surgery for hours and hours and hours. They had to wire her jaw. They had to affix one eye by synthetic film, bolted titanium plates to her skull. You know, I mean, it was brutal. And, and so the judge, the, 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 the guy, Ryan, he's, he's, he felt so bad. He felt so horrible. But, I mean, it, it was horrible what he did. And so at his sentencing, he was sentenced for only six months behind bars. And then five years probation. And the, the whole courtroom kind of erupts. Everybody is just angry. This is not right, what he did to this woman. ah! But then it c- comes out that the reduced sentence was her idea. And, and she said, I, I took this ridiculous, stupid thing that happened and decided to make something positive. She publicly forgave him in court. She embraced him. She said, I just want you to live a good life. Just do something good with your life. She said later, God gave me a second chance at life, and I passed it on. If I hadn't let go of that anger, I'd be consumed by this need for revenge. Forgiving him helps me move on. Boy, that, that is not taking it personally. What an upward call. Let's, let's read one more uh, section of Luke 17, and then we'll wrap it up here. Luke 17, verse 11. Think about it again. Why does this come next? Now on his way to Jerusalem... The Jews hated the Samaritans, by the way. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The last thing we're going to talk about is faith to act in gratitude. You look at this guy. He comes running back. He called out in a loud voice. He, uh, praising God in a loud voice, it says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet There's such an act of gratitude on this guy's uh, behalf because he saw what Jesus had done for him. And and why did Luke put this? Why is this story next in this this context of forgiveness? Why is this next? I think it's because forgiveness is also an issue of gratitude. And and there's nothing that's going to allow you to forgive like really understanding what you have been forgiven of. And really understanding the grace that has been extended to you and that you have been forgiven, you have been cleansed, you have been given so much by God. And that, that should be, and it is, motivating when you understand that. There's a story Jesus told of a, of a guy who, who owed uh, many years' wages, thousands and thousands of dollars he owed. And, and, and the, 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 the landowner, the, the Lord, forgave this guy the whole debt. It's like if your mortgage, no more mortgage, just gone. You're forgiven the whole debt. Woo, this is awesome. You know, so he goes out and then he finds his buddy who owes him a few dollars. Uh, you know, may- maybe his buddy owes him 20 bucks or 50 bucks or something. Starts strangling him. Give me my money. There's a G- story Jesus told that's ridiculous. But it's, to, it's to, to show us this is how God views us when we don't forgive each other. Because I've been forgiven all of my sin for my whole life. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Who am I to not forgive someone else? With, with all that God has done for me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. We should be gra- grateful and that should motivate us. Uh, in the Love Works book, uh, Joel Mamby shares about this guy that he gave a second chance to on the job. And this, this guy was messing up, he was blowing it, but, but, but Joel saw something in him and he gave him a second chance and the guy had no father figure in his life. And, uh, and so he was so grateful that he asked Joel if he would kind of be a stand-in as a father figure in his life. He invited him to his graduation. There's a photo in the book of this African-American family, and there's Joel Manby, you know, the white guy there in the picture at the graduation. Uh, and he talked about how the, the, the effect was like ripples in a pond, like the effect in this guy's life was like ripples in a pond, that, that real gratitude it affects others, and that affects others, and that affects others because it's so powerful when we act in Gratitude. I want to show uh, one more movie clip here, or one more film clip. This is from 60 Minutes, really moving video I saw a few years ago. Uh, this it was a guy named Ronald Cotton spent 11 years in jail. He was falsely accused of raping a, a, a woman. And, and this woman, uh, she had uh, tried to, she, she saw the guy who raped her, she tried to memorize his face, she gave a police sketch after, uh, and then she... she this guy was, he was already in the system because he had broken into his girlfriend's house one time, and was, was, the parents caught him, and so he was on record. He, he wasn't like a criminal, but he had done that, which, teens, that's criminal, don't do that, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, so anyway, they gave him uh, several photos, and she saw him, she, he was the one that looked the most like the sketch, but the way memory works is every time you remember something, you, you reinforce, you, you don't go back to like the original, you When you pull it, it's malleable. Memory is malleable. So every time your brain is thinking about the memory, you're reshaping that memory. So what happened is that the guy who actually raped her looks similar to this guy, but her memory got so reshaped that even though it it was tried again and the actual rapist was there, she still said it was the first guy because her memory had now been shaped. And so she saw it was him. And so she was emphatic, 11 years. It's him. I know it. I, I was raped. I remember And yet, finally, DNA evidence exonerated the guy. He was totally innocent. And uh, so so this was stunning to her. And and I'm going to catch it up here with the video. That's where we kind of pick it up with the video and the story. As we watch that, hopefully you think, you know, you can relate that to what we've been forgiven, that we've been forgiven by God. You know, you think about in Acts 2 where the the people realize that their sins killed Jesus, and it says they were cut to the heart, and they say to, to Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? We are guilty, and that, that's all of us. Before God, we all are guilty of our own sin. And yet, just like Ronald Cotton forgave her, Jesus forgives us. And he says, I, I want you to have a life. I want you to move on. I, I forgive you. And that, she says, it's so motivating. Her heart healed at that moment, and her life changed at that moment. And I want to show a clip of kind of what happens next in, in their relationship and what, what, uh, what God does here. Notice how free she is now. Notice how joyful they both are and motivating to do something, to help others, to to, to act in gratitude. And so that's what understanding what we've been forgiven by Jesus should do. It should motivate us to act in gratitude. That's the power that enables our lives to change and be transformed is when we really appreciate what, what we've been forgiven of. And what Jesus tells the grateful leper in verse 19, your faith has made you well. That is really applies in this area of forgiveness and relationships, that our faith is what will enable us to have the capacity to forgive, the, the ability to act in gratitude, the ability to not take it personally, and the faith in how we view others. Let's, let's like along with the apostles, say, Lord, increase our faith, and may we have the faith to forgive. Amen.